Thank you, Brother Walden. Praise the Lord, everyone. How many got in bed about 3 o'clock last night like I did? Me and 300 young people stayed up till 3. Amen. But it's great to be here. Feeling good in the Lord. Enjoyed that good prayer meeting before church. Hallelujah. And uh, it's just a privilege to be here. I uh, count it sincerely an honor to be asked to come speak at TSR this year. And uh, I pray I can uh, bring something to you that will be a blessing. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Judges chapter number 8. Judges chapter number 8 and verse number 4. I want to compliment the uh, PSR committee on their graciousness and hospitality. Amen. They really know how to treat you right. We appreciate that. Amen. They have a little room back here for the speakers that's just loaded with fattening stuff. Amen. Fat guys like me and, well, fat guys like me need to stay out of there, but... Uh, really nice and uh and uh, we appreciate their goodness and their hospitality everybody said amen judges chapter 8 verse number four and gideon came to jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him faint yet pursuing them and he said unto the men of succoth give i pray you loaves of bread unto the people that follow me for they be faint, and I am pursuing after Zeban, Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he went up thence to Penuel. And spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Amen. You may be seated. You're going to have to pray for me this morning. I uh, went out to eat with Brother Leon Frost last night and left my Bible in his pickup. And he's not here this morning, that I see. And so you're going to get something fresh from the throne. Hallelujah. Amen. Matter of fact, I had to borrow Tim Copeland's Bible, so I may preach two hours on hell. I don't know. But uh, hallelujah. You'll have to pray for me this morning. Amen. I did enjoy the Word of God we heard last night. Can everybody say amen? amen? Great preaching. Amen. Brother Foster's sermon was beautiful and uplifting. And then Brother Wilson's, once I got the salt water out of my eyes, it was revealing great things to us. Amen. Amen. I, uh, I was approached by Brother Steve Buxton before church and and he told me he had heard me preach one time on tape. He said, the front side was fine, the back side was blank. He said, it was truly the other side of nothing. So, you, uh, you have to pray for me 
this morning. Amen. I, I did receive uh, a, a word of encouragement from Brother Von Morton last night. He said, we got you here to preach like Ray Brown. Well, I may not be able to preach like Nate Wilson, but I hope I can manage to preach like Ray Brown. Amen. So if that's what you got, hallelujah, maybe I can measure up to that anyway. Amen. So you pray for us this morning. Amen. Uh, we have been, uh, the last five or six years, been reading in the paper of the anniversary of great dates that uh, took place in World War II, the 50th anniversary, and uh, it started in uh, 1989 in September when uh, the war started for Europe, and then, of course, the 50th anniversary of Pearl Harbor was in 1991, and then as great momentous occasions of World War II came to pass, we uh, were uh, reminded again of the great dates that transpired 50 years ago during that uh, global conflict. And this is really the great, the last great anniversary for World War II because on the 75th, most, uh, if, if not all, then almost all of the men that fought, the women that fought in that war, will be gone. And so this is the last real time of remembrance by those that participated. And uh, so we've been seeing in the paper, you know, uh, President Clinton on the bluffs overlooking uh, Normandy and other such inspiring sights. And uh, then recently, of course, we uh, had the anniversary of the uh, dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and then the signing of the peace accord with Japan in September that marked the 50th anniversary of victory uh, over Japan. And uh, since I've been reading about all these things, I, I kind of sparked an interest in, in uh, rereading the history of World War II in a little more detail, so I got some books out and uh, started reading them. If you haven't read uh, William Manchester's account of World War II, you need to. And very interesting and uh, enlightening. And in the course of reading about the great uh, climactic battles that took place in World War II, I came across a little sidelight to history that I want to leave with you this morning for a few minutes. Uh, the United States uh, intelligence community had broken the code of the Japanese Imperial Navy, and so we knew the plans. We knew that in June of 1942, they intended to invade the island of Midway. And so... Uh, the United States Navy under Nimitz in Honolulu made preparations to meet them at Midway in what uh, we know now, of course, was the decisive naval battle of World War II. And uh, so he, uh, Nimitz gathered his naval forces together at uh, Pearl Harbor, and the carrier fleet, of course, our battleships were in the mud of Pearl Harbor at that time, and he... Uh, gathered the carrier forces and prepared to go out to meet the Japanese fleet at Midway. And on the eve of battle, our great admiral, fighting admiral by the name of Halsey, Bull Halsey, you probably heard of him, he was hospitalized with a, a physical ailment, a skin ailment of some kind, and he was unable to go out and fight. And so they had to find a replacement for him on the very eve of this great battle. And the United States was going out with all of their forces, the only fleet we had between Tokyo and Los Angeles. And if they lost this battle, then we had nothing left to prevent the Japanese from doing anything they wanted to in the Pacific. 
So it was a very important battle. And they were coming out with the overwhelming forces. We knew they were coming, but because you know somebody's going to do something, don't mean you can stop them from doing it. And so there was a very tense scene in the headquarters in uh, Honolulu, and they had to find a replacement for Bull Halsey. And so uh, Admiral Nimitz and Admiral Halsey decided that the man to take his place was a little-known admiral by the name of Spruance. He skipped over some other men because they knew this was going to be the fight to the finish. And they needed somebody that they felt like was a fighter. And uh, Spruance had no aircraft experience, no carrier fleet experience. Matter of fact, he was the admiral of the cruiser division at the time of his uh, advancement to fleet admiral. And so he went out without any real specialized knowledge of the warfare that was going to take place, but he was a fighter. Now, the normal man that would take his place was second in command to Halsey. His name was Frank Jack Fletcher. But, and Frank Jack Fletcher was a good admiral. He, he was a good tactician. He, he knew logistics. He knew how to uh, organize the fleet. He, he knew how to run the fleet. But uh, when the chips were down, they had already found out in places like the Coral Sea that he, he wasn't a fighter to the death. And they needed somebody that would fight. And so they reached down into the ranks of uh, the naval officers and they elevated this man by the name of Spruance. And, of course, you know the story. He went out, sailed out with uh, what fleet we did have and met the Japanese at Midway. And uh, when he sighted the Japanese fleet, when our scout planes sighted the Japanese fleet, Sprint sent every airplane he had. He held nothing back. He emptied the decks. And uh, you know the story. They surprised the Japanese fleet while they were... Uh, preparing to strike and uh, bomb them with their planes on deck and their, their bombs and their gasoline hoses exposed and uh, four Japanese carriers were sunk and it turned the tide of war in World War II and uh, uh, he became a great hero. Spruance became a great naval hero because of his willingness to gamble. Uh, you can take a drive on Nimitz Freeway in California up in the Bay Area there's a lot of bases uh, that are named after Halsey. And uh, there's some ships that were named after Spruance. But uh, Frank Jack Fletcher has not gone down in history as a great admiral because he was too afraid. He saw too many dangers. There were too many bad things that could happen, Brother Walden, for him to step out and lay it all on the line and say, bless God, we'll just fight till somebody quits. Amen. He was a good man, smart man. But he, he wasn't someone that was willing to, uh, to say, I'm, I'm here to fight, and we'll just fight till somebody wins. Sperance was such a man, and the United States, of course, won a great victory. In our Bible story here, now I don't know how long this is going to take me. I, I'm not, I've never learned the virtue of preaching a long time. And so you'll have to forgive me if I don't take my whole a lot of time. I will, if I don't use up all my time, I will defer my time to my esteemed colleague from Georgia, a man that's going to follow me. But uh, I, I have something. I Just stay with me for a little while. If God will help me, we'll, we'll preach. Amen. In our Bible story this morning, for the selection of our scripture, tells the story of a man by the name of Gideon. We've all heard about Gideon. Uh, Gideon was a man that lived during the time of the judges. As a matter of fact, he was a judge. 
And uh, when this story starts, the children of Israel had been suffering mightily at the hand of the Midianites. Every year they'd come in with their camels and their soldiers and their swords and their spears. And when it was time for the reaping, the Midianites would come and drive the children of Israel back into the caves. And they, they would take the crop and they would reap the harvest and go back to Midian and enjoy the bounty of the children of Israel. And the children of Israel, of course, would cry unto God and deliver us from the hand of the Midianites. And finally God heard their prayer. And one day while Gideon was out hiding, trying to get just what wheat he could before the Midianites took it all away from him, an angel appeared to him and said, Thou mighty man of valor. Gideon said, If I'm a mighty man of valor, what am I doing back here like a rabbit behind the threshing floor trying to steal a little of my wheat from the Midianites? God said, I'm going to use you. You're going you're to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of Midian. And, and uh, my hand is with you. And uh, to make a long story short, he went out against the Midianites at the, the plain of Esdralam, the valley of Megiddo. And uh, they had camped there against the children of Israel. And he brought his little paltry 32,000-man army against that host that was like grasshoppers in number, 175,000 men. And uh, God looked him over and said, you know the story. This is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. God said, you got too many. You tell everybody that's afraid, go back home. And so 22,000 left. He is left with 10,000. And uh, he said, well, I, I don't know, I guess... I guess we can make it with 10,000. God said, you still got too many. Take them down to the water. Everybody won't lap water like a dog. Send them home. He was left with 300 men. You know why God did that? He wanted everybody to know that this victory is the Lord's. This victory is God's. Anytime you feel like that you're winning the victory, God will show you that it's Him that gives the victory. Hallelujah. It's not us. It's not our intellect. It's not our abilities that brings us victory. Amen. It's the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the strong, but it's by the Spirit of God that we win. Amen. In this life. Amen. And so God said, I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove to you that I'm the one that gives victory. I'm going to take 300 men, and I'm going to defeat this host. They, they're depending on their numbers and their abilities and their swords and their spears, but I'm going to knock them down like a barley loaf hitting a tent. They're going to be destroyed. So, you know the story. Gideon got his 300 men on the hills around the host of the Midianites. and They put a candle in a jug so it couldn't be seen until they wanted it to be seen and took their trumpet and they surrounded the Midianites. And at the, at the cry, they blew the trumpet and busted the pitchers and held up the candles in the night and cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon and all the Midianites. saw those lights, and those trumpets blaring, and they thought they'd been surrounded. And they took off running and started killing themselves to get out of... You know, I, I've seen time when I... I, I was leaving, amen, if somebody's in the way, they just got run over, amen, and that's the way the Midianites felt, they, they were leaving, amen, and so, all, great victory, we all, we all heard about this when we was in Sunday school, amen, but the Bible says that Gideon began to ch chase the remnants of the Midianites, not the end of the story, amen, and he started chasing these two kings, Zeba and Zalmunna, and, uh, in their pursuit, they went across Jordan. They were following them back to their home. And uh, his men were faint. They had been fighting. They had been running. They were chasing the enemy. And they were faint. And so they came to this town of Succoth. And he said, we're chasing Zeba and Zalmunna, the king of the Midianites. And my men are hungry. They're tired. Have you got some food for us? And the men of Succoth said, you know, but we're not your enemy. We're not going to fight you. 
But how do we know that you're going to win? How do we know that you, you're going to get the victory? I mean, these, you know, these kings, aren't, they're not in your hands yet. Now, if you came with them in captivity, if you had already won the battle, sure, you're our buddy. But now we don't know, and so uh, we don't have any help for you. They declared their neutrality. They refused to take sides. Gideon said, God's going to give me the victory. I'm going to win. God's already gave us the hard parts already over. We're just chasing them now. We're going to win, and when I win, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to tear your flesh with the thorns and the briars of the wilderness. Went down to Penuel. The Bible said that the men of Penuel answered Gideon like the men of Succoth had. They said, well, you know, you know, you're a nice guy and we like you and you've got a nice smile, but we don't know what's going to happen here. And, and if we pick the wrong side, then we might get hurt in this. You know? So we, we're going to stay on the sidelines too. And the Bible said, Gideon told them, I'm going to come in peace. God's going to give me the victory. And when I come, I'm going to break your tower down. I'm tearing this city down. He went on, and of course, he, he defeated Zebens Almunim. And when he came back to Succoth, the Bible said he tore their flesh with the thorns and the briars of the wilderness. When he came back to Penuel, he, he tore their tower down. He did as he had vowed. He did what he said he would do. You know, these people really hadn't done anything bad. They weren't evil. They, they, the Bible does not give us a, a list of their evil deeds. It doesn't tell us of their idolatry and their immorality and the wickedness that they had pursued. It doesn't tell us that they were worshipers of Shemosh and Baal and Ashtaroth and Milcom and uh, Moloch and all the evil gods of the people around about them. It doesn't say that. It just says that they would not choose Gideon's side. They refused to take sides. You know, God is not a real big lover of neutrality. My God is not a lover of neutrality. He wants us to choose. He wants us to make up our mind. Amen. Gideon, you know, uh, Joshua told us one day, choose who you will serve. Quit playing games. Quit fooling around. If you want to live... For the world and the devil, go ahead. If you want to live for God, go ahead. But quit trying to do both. Amen. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon would let you, but God won't. The world will let you do it both, but God won't. And so he said, when I come back, you, you, you wanted to declare your neutrality. You want to be neutral in this, but that's not the way that it operates. That's not the way that God works. Amen, you have to choose. Amen, Dante in his uh, poem of the inferno of hell, he said there's a special place of a special torment where winds blew and where fire rained down and hornets stung and devils chased people that refused to take a stand. They wanted to be neutral. You know we live in an age where this is really getting popular. We live in an age where it's popular to be neutral. We're living in an age where uh, the, the modern uh, popular thought, uh, 
is, is to, you know, like, like Brother Foster preached last night about the woman that came to him. Uh, you know, we, we hear all the time, we're bombarded continually with the concept that if we would ease up, if we'd back up, if we'd just modify things, if we'd slack up just a little bit, my, my, the popularity suddenly would come flowing in and we would be running for mayor of our town. Named head of the Ministerial Association. Hallelujah. Just, just don't be so radical about this. Amen. But you know, if there was ever a time that the Church of Jesus Christ and its preachers needed to stand up sure and solid and firm for what's right and true, it is in 1995. I said if there was ever a time... It, it, in the history of humanity, when we need to be sure and solid for what we stand for, it is now in this age that we're living in. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God's never been a lover of neutrality. He's never been in love with someone that wouldn't declare himself. Frank Jack Fletcher will never go down in the annals of great admirals because he didn't have the fortitude or whatever it takes to be counted when it counted. Anybody catch that? To be counted when it counted. You know, everybody can be tough here. Everybody can shout amen here. I mean, it's strong here. Hallelujah. I, I, I'm relaxed. I hope you are. Hallelujah. I'm feeling good. Amen. I, I'm not under any pressure at all. Hallelujah. Everybody can have it here. But, you know, what's tough is to go back home. And then stand for what's right. And then stand for what's true. Hallelujah. We just had a million-man march in, in Washington. And I, I don't know everything that was said and everything that was done, but it was a march to, to bring uh, a certain ethnic group in America into a stronger position of, of family values and, and the work ethic. And hey, I, all sounds good. I just hope they can do something better when they get back to Baltimore and Phoenix and Los Angeles. Talking about in Washington and doing it back home, two different things. Hallelujah. And, and we, we are inundated with a constant pressure. I, uh, somebody came to me the other day. A wealthy man came to me and told me that uh, he was thinking about coming to my church. Well, that's always good news. Amen. And uh, let me know right away that, you know, you had a little lettuce and if you hate money, you're different than I am. I don't want to love it too much, but I sure don't hate it. And so uh, that sounded good. And I said, well, that's, that's nice. Uh, you know, we have, a, we have a good conservative apostolic church here. And he said, how conservative? And I said, well, uh, as far as I know, the only standard that's been changed from when I was a boy in the Bakersfield Church to what I have in Avondale. As far as I know, the only standard we don't have in Avondale that they did in Bakersfield is uh, we don't preach against women shaving their legs. As Brother Wilson so ably told us last night, there's some areas you just stay away from. And I think that's a good one to stay far away from. Hallelujah. Amen. So he said, oh, uh, really conservative. I said, yeah. He said, uh, <clears throat> well, maybe I'll try somewhere else. I said, well, Glendale's got a good church. 
So the only catch is going to Ron Garrett's like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire, I'm afraid. So that may not get you anywhere, but I'm sure you won't have to go far to find somebody that'll let you do pretty well anything you want to. Hallelujah, but you haven't got enough money. I don't need money bad enough. I hope I never ever need it bad enough. Amen. That I'm willing to change the principles of righteousness. Amen. You know, but it would have been so easy to say, well, come on and we'll pray the love of God touches your heart. Uh, yeah, you can come in. We, we, need a, we need a new bass in the choir anyway. And, you know, we'll work these things out down the road. Hallelujah. Well, you know, there's been a lot of bad things happen from an attitude of, well, I, I just really don't want to take a stand. I, I'm not willing to go out to battle. I'm not willing to fight to the death. I pray in the name of Jesus that I am able to maintain the truths of God. I'm not going to make any brags. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me or for you. I don't know what tests and trials, and there's some things I don't want to go through. Amen. I don't know what's going to happen, but I pray in the name of Jesus that when he comes, and I don't know when that's going to be, but when he comes, I pray he finds in Avondale and in Fresno and in your town and in yours, amen, a good old-fashioned apostolic church that still stands for the righteous principles of godliness. Amen, amen. Several years ago, I uh, made the acquaintance of a man that... Uh, young preacher, and through circumstances beyond my control, uh, well, anyway, he came by to preach for me, and uh, he was a fresh graduate from a large Bible school back east, at least it used to be large, and uh, he uh, came with his... Uh, theological views and his concepts. And so I, while he was there, I, I took the occasion in my smooth and adroit and inoffensive manner to ask him about some of the views that I had heard were propagated in that particular institution of higher learning. So in the matter of, uh, in, in the course of time, we started talking about Salvation, that's a subject that preachers should get off on real often. Amen. And so I uh, started talking to him about the plan of salvation. and He told me that there are three eternal destinies. Hmm. I said, now, heaven I've heard about and hell I've heard about. What's his third one? And he said, well, brother... And with this condescending air, you know, of a recent Bible school graduate, he said, Brother, there are the saved, those that are baptized. Oh, Brother Haney's not here, is he? I, it, wasn't, it wasn't Stockton. I said, East Coast. Amen. Uh, he, uh, he said, Brother, there are the saved, those that are baptized in the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost, repented of the sins. That's the saved. There's the lost, the people that are alienated from God, rejected the Lord, turned their back on salvation. And then there are the righteous. I said, uh, righteous? 
Where are they going? He said, they're going to inherit the new earth. I said, oh. Well, you know, I read about sheep and goats, but I don't read about anything else. I read about five wise that had oil and five foolish that didn't, but I don't read about anybody else. I hear that there are some that are going to hear well done, not good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you over many things. Enter down to the joys of the land. And I read about those that here depart from me, your work of iniquity. Bind them hand and foot and cast them into outer darkness, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I read about that, but I don't read about anything else. He said, no, no good folks. I said, well, who's this good folks? Well, you know, folks that are good denominal people. Good moral people. You know, good Baptists, Methodists, Episcopalians, Presbyterians. I said, brother, by one man, sin entered into the world. By one man. His name was Adam. And you didn't have to sin after the similitude of Adam's sin to share in Adam's guilt. When we came into the world, we were condemned by our Adamic nature. When we came into the world, David said, I was born in sin, and in sin my mother shaped me and conceived me. I came into the world a sinner. I'm not going to be lost because I'll go to a bar or drink booze or take dope. I come into the world lost.
Is that what it says? Amen. Now, if I get off in left field, you pull my coat. You know, me and Brother Dan Walton agree on one thing, absolutely, and that is that he's pretty sharp. Amen. So, but, you know, that's, that's, that's the truth, isn't it? <laughs> Don't mean to pick on you. You're the one I got to pick on up here. Amen. By one man sin entered into the world. By one. Judgment came. Condemnation came to all. Of course, the good part of that is that by one, Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice of one, righteousness and atonement came to all also. But I said, we come into the world sinners. We can't get righteous by being nice. We can't be righteous by being good citizens. We're not made righteous because we raise our kids and have a nice home. We're not righteous because we vote and pay our taxes. The only way we become righteous is when we are touched and cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Until that atoning touch of God comes into my life, then I just remain a sinner. He said, well, you get the blood of Christ at repentance. I said, you are a tongue-talking Billy Graham. You get the blood of Christ when you repent of your sins. Get baptized in the name of Jesus. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I'm being Ray Brown, Brother Walden. Amen. I'm sorry. Hallelujah. No, I'm not. Amen. Hallelujah. We get the blood applied to our heart when we obey from the heart that form of doctrine that was once delivered to the saints. That's the only thing on God's green earth that will save the souls of men and women. There is no other thing in this world that has the efficacious cleansing qualities that can cleanse from sin other than the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. If you don't have that, you need it real, 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 real bad. Amen. So we had some interesting talks. He told me about, in the area of the country he lives, they have this big, I shouldn't say this. Somebody say, say it. Okay, I will. Hallelujah. They have this, they have this uh, big ritual where they have this big statue and it's a pagan, it's an Indian god. And every spring they, they burn it down on a certain day as a symbol of destroying old man winter. And it's just, you know, kind of a cultural thing in his part of the world. And uh, he was telling me about it one day and I said, uh, you go to that? He said, oh no, my Lord, no. I said, why not? He said, well, it's pagan. I said, well, nobody believes in this God anymore, do they? They said, no. He said, nobody really is a follower, a disciple of that God, are they? And he said, no. He said, well, I said, then what's the big deal? He said, well, it's paganism. It was 1,500 years ago. They thought it was a God 1,500 years ago, and so I'm not going. I said, well, hmm. strange sentiment from somebody that 
puts a Christmas tree in the house every December, but anyway. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Move on. Move on. I know. Move on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anyway, I, I received a letter from him. What I, I'm telling all that say this. I received a letter from him a while back. And it was a nice letter. And I'm not making fun of him at all. I thank God that he is able to, to be adaptable to the truth when he hears it. He wrote me a real nice letter in which he, he said that he, he thanked me for uh, changing his mind on certain issues. And it was really nice. Matter of fact, I kept it. And I've got it in my office now. And it's, uh, it's touching. It really is. And I'm not being facetious. It really is. But he said something that bothered me. And I'm going to close in just a little while. But I want, you to, I want you to catch this with me. At the end of the letter, he said, After talking to you, I, I am convinced that the way to true revival and church growth is by preaching holiness. You know, I believe that. I really do. I thank God that that's the truth. Amen. That's the way to revival. But we don't preach holiness because it promotes church growth. We preach holiness because it's the truth. We don't preach holiness because we want our church to have revival and grow. And I thank God that that will do it. Hallelujah. As somebody noted, I think it's Brother Wilson last night, I think noted that, that all your really growing churches and prospering churches are conservative churches or used to be. And they're living on yesterday's prayers and consecration. And I believe that's true. I think meetings like this show us that uh, there is a hunger in the hearts of people for good old apostolic preaching and living. Amen. Amen. So... But, you know, we don't preach this because it brings success. If my preaching the truth, if my preaching on oneness, if my preaching on baptism in the name of Jesus, if my preaching holiness to my people guaranteed me that I'd have five on Sunday morning and seven on Sunday night and have to drive a taxi all week to put bread on my, my family's table, I still have an obligation to preach, Thus saith the Word of God. do it right we need to have it for the right reason even if we're going to preach holiness it must be for the right reason god doesn't want folks that are waiting to see what's popular or what brings blessing to decide what to preach now that's what i really want to say and it's not going to take me long to say it but the men of Succoth and the men of Penuel were condemned because they wanted to wait to see the popular course before they decided which way they were going to go. They wanted to see who was going to come back with the, the victory in hand before they would choose who they're going to follow and who they're going to open their doors to. And it did not please Gideon. And it does not please my God this morning. God wants us to see the way of righteousness and live according to it and forget the consequences. Amen. God wants people determined in their heart that they're going to do the work of righteousness and do the things of truth. Amen. And if it destroys them, blessed is the man that will swear unto his own heart and change not. Amen. Amen. 
We need concrete convictions. We need powerful Bible preaching. We need churches that are dedicated to the truths of God. Amen. And if we don't have those, then we'll be in the category of those that, well, you know, you know, I hear all the time about this big charismatic church downtown or across the country that's running 10,000. Don't you understand, honey, that the children of the bondwoman are always more numerous than the children of the free? Jesus preached for three and a half years and only had 120. Numbers don't mean anything. And I thank God my church is growing. I got a couple of young men to baptize when I get back home. Thank God. Hallelujah. I think God will bless that. But that's not a proof of orthodoxy. You are orthodox when you obey the Word of God and live the Word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me say one more thing. In the Old Testament, leprosy was a type of sin. It's the physical representation, manifestation of sin. Amen. And the typologies of God, it's sin. In the Bible, in the Old Testament under the law, if someone suspected that they had leprosy, if they had reason to believe a rising, a sore, a boil, whatever, the Bible said that they were ordered to go to the high priest to diagnose whether this was leprosy. It's the job of the priesthood to diagnose leprosy. It's not mama's job and it's not daddy's job. It's not the doctor's job. It's not even a self-diagnosis. I know folks that, you know, well, it don't feel wrong to me. You know, that's the old Ernest Hemingway test of morality. If you feel good afterwards, it's okay. Well, you know, you can't depend on that. Ernest Hemingway is not God. Amen. And so they had to go to the priest. And the priest would look at it. And, you know, some leprosies are easy to diagnose. There's a lot of things that's obviously wrong. Sinners can diagnose some leprosy. I mean, adultery, dope addiction, incest. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, anybody knows. Oh my God, that's wrong. But, you know, Brother Walton, some things are not that easy to diagnose. There have been a lot of things I looked at and said, hmm. I don't know whether I like that or not. Amen. And so the Bible made provision for those lesions, those sores that were not easily diagnosed. It said of the person that had it, told the priest at least, said, you look at it. If you can't tell whether it's leprosy or not, you send them away. Tell them to come back in seven days. At the end of seven days, you look at it again. Sometimes you, you can't tell them, so you send them away again for seven days. And the Bible says at the end of 14 days, if it has not spread. You know, the diagnosis of leprosy was important because it was contagious. If you didn't diagnose a case of leprosy, it might spread through the community. If you don't preach against sin, pretty soon the whole church has got it. Hallelujah. It's contagious. And so... At the end of 14 days, if it had not spread, the Bible said it's not leprosy. Because it's inherent in the nature of leprosy. And it's inherent in the nature of sin that it always gets worse. We've lived long enough to see some things and know that it's wrong because it always gets worse. 
It never stays static. It's dynamic. It's always, you know, you, you, Brother Walden, if you want a big mess in your church, just go home and tell the ladies in your church you can have a little plain, simple band. Before long, they'll have enough ice on their hand to chill a Coca-Cola. There'll be a, a horse race down to the jewelry store to see who can get the biggest diamond. You know, that, that shows to me that there's something more involved than a little piece of gold. It always, it always, inevitably gets worse. Videos like that too. You know, you start off with all these high intentions and lofty goals and I'll not do that and I'll not do that and I'll not go over there. I won't see that and before it's over, it always gets worse. I sat in the living room of a United Pentecostal pastor a while back and he told me that when I bought mine, I told myself I'll never cross certain barriers. He said it didn't happen overnight, but in time, I crossed every barrier. I crossed every one of them. Had to get rid of it. Bad part about it is he's got another one. Amen. We've learned. We've learned, haven't we? And so in this battle that we're fighting, there's no place for neutrality. In this battle we're fighting, there's no place for the people of Succoth and Penuel that want to see what's popular and, and, and you know which way the wind is blowing before we decide where we stand. We stand here. We can do no other. We have to stand for righteousness and truth and, and forget the consequences. My church grows. Hallelujah. I pray it does every day. If, if, if I lose everybody I've got but my wife, I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. I've got to preach the truth. I've got to preach the truth. I've got to preach the truth. Amen. It's not a matter of sentiment. I haven't decided this would be the best for me. This is the truth. This is the Word of God. And this is a necessity. Woe is me if I preach not the Gospel. And woe is you if you don't live it. Amen. There's no neutrality in this war. You either saved or lost. You either obey from the heart or you're disobedient. You're either wheat or a tear. Amen. There's no neutral ground. I made my mind up. I'm going to follow Jesus. I got my mind made up. I'm going to follow the principles of righteousness. Amen. 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 I got my mind made up today. And I'm going to follow Jesus. Amen. And I, uh, I'm not interested in being neutral. I'm not interested in playing games. I want to stand sure and firm for what is right. And I hope you feel that way with me this morning. Can you say amen? Would you raise your hands with me and worship the Lord? My God, in your name, we glorify you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, everybody that wants to love truth, stand. Reach your hands towards.